Love is in the air, fellas. Valentine's Day is right around the corner. But we have some good news for you. Thanks to our friends at Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming. We have the right tools for your family jewels, so you're ready for that special day. Over 2 million people worldwide are trusting Manscaped for their grooming needs. I'm one of them. Mero is one of them. I would highly recommend becoming one of them. Look, it's 2021. You can't be walking around with an 80s porn star bush on you. It's bad manners. It's bad manners. And I get it. You know, global pandemic, lockdown. Who are you trying to impress? Who are you trying to do these things for? Sure, who cares? Tinder is basically shut down. You can't be having casual acquaintances, shall we say. There's more to life than that, lads. If you're in a relationship, you got to stay ready. And if you're not, then you're doing it for yourself. Why settle for anything less than great? Like, thanks to Manscaped. And thanks to the Perfect Package 3.0, you'll be perfect every time. It's led by the Lawnmower 3.0, which is their revolutionary trimmer with advanced skin-safe technology. And that features a cutting-edge ceramic blade uh, to, to reduce all those kind of grooming accidents you might have experienced in the past. No more nicks, no more scratches, no more tugs. Those silky smooth, beautiful grooming. It makes a hell of a difference. This thing has a 90-minute battery. It's waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. You don't have to worry about cleaning the sink or cleaning the floor afterwards and all that kind of crack. Um, it's just it's just handy. It's so convenient, so easy, so smooth. All these products that feature in the Perfect Pack 3.0, including Crop Preserver, including Crop Reviver, you get Manscaped boxers with your anti-chafing and they're super comfy. All of them are included. So look, if, if your loved one this year is scratching their head and wondering, what am I going to get them? for valentine's day the shops are all closed you can't go out for a meal nice romantic dinner like you would you're probably going to be doing something at home you need to make sure that you're ready drop the hint hit them up manscaped.com put in the code w-t-s-p-o-d you'll get 20 percent off and free shipping it's the perfect gift and you're getting a discount thanks to us so head on over manscaped.com w-t-s pod at the checkout you'll get 20 percent off and free shipping. Happy Valentine's Day from us and Manscaped. Hello everybody and welcome to WTS 227. My name is Danny Murray. And I'm Graham Merrigan. How are you, Danny? I'm good. I'm doing good, man. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm flying this week. I'm flying. How are you getting on? Yeah, I'm off work. Um, I had to take uh, take carryover leave before March, so I've been off for a few weeks, and uh, I'm a bit lockdown fatigue. Um, I'm okay. Like generally speaking, mm. I'm okay, but I'm a bit weary. I'm a bit. I don't know. I, I guess I just watched them um, before we went on air. I watched RT Investigates from Tala Hospital, and uh, it left me very sad, emotional, um, it left me yeah. angry. Um, and I wanted. I was saying to myself, "Will I say it to Danny on the pod for the discussion?" I said, "Feck it, I will." Um, yeah, it's just you know, it left me angry in the sense that there's still people out there that's calling this a hoax, and they call the RT Investigate shows. Um, on COVID, they call them propaganda things, and it's just yeah. like I, I just think those people are a bit unhinged. I think, I think if 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 you're watching, like 
this was never about um, the lockdowns and COVID and the restrictions and stuff like that. It's about looking after the hospital capacity. Yeah. As much as it's about looking after society. Um, from from a from a from a you and I point of view, and from our our neighbours, our family, and stuff like that, and it just I just kind of thinking if you're watching that and you're still shouting that it's a hoax and that it's a propaganda, mm. I mean it's just that bad, that part of it had me angry, and then I was also angry, and you can tell me if I'm being irrational, but I mean those deaths in January, the one thousand deaths. If if there was so many deaths in such a short space of time in Trump's America or Johnson's Britain, we would be calling them a calamity, and we'd be look we'd be pointing the finger at the likes of Donald Trump and the mm. likes of um, Boris Johnson. And I just don't think there's much of that in Ireland in terms of accountability to Michal Martin, to Leo Varadkar, to Eamon Ryan. It's like lads. If you hadn't, hadn't lifted, if you had done what you were told from the scientists and from the mm. professionals, we wouldn't have lost a thousand people in January. Yeah, I think, now I haven't, I, I didn't watch the thing because uh, somewhat selfishly, I'm, I'm trying to just look after myself a little bit better. I've, I've been finding this lockdown a little bit tougher than the previous two and I've made a conscious effort to less what watch less current affairs or, or that kind of stuff because like i'm i'm eating and breathing it in in work i don't I, like just when when i finish doing me nine to five i'm kind of like yeah do you know what i need to switch i need a disconnect from it because it's uh, it's getting me blood pressure up but it's not good but at the same time you can't ignore it so while i haven't seen that uh, particular rte show that you're talking about in terms of people calling it a hoax um I think those people, like, they're the type of people that, you know, like, COVID could be personified in a human body with the ability to speak and communicate absolutely perfectly. It would walk up on the street and it would say, I've infected you now. I am the disease. I'm here to stay. And they'd be like, nah, mate, don't believe you. Do you know what yeah. I mean? They, they, they don't want to, and they'll pull down the shutter because rather it's big pharma or big tech or the deep state or whatever QAnon bullshit they've read that yeah. that appeals to them and they know better than you and they have to be um so they look for that and they look for confirmation bias and this kind of circular economy almost of nonsense and if you look at it i think you actually sent me a video um downy o'sullivan put it up and it's this thing around how particularly queuing on, there's always something new. There's always a new part of the conspiracy theory that fuels those who believe it. Like, so the one that you're seeing a lot um, separate from COVID is the Trump one, where they're yeah. like, yep, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Now, January 6th didn't happen, but March 4th, you wait and see, March 4th, there's going to be public executions and Donald Trump is going to emerge as being in power. And it's like, what yeah. the fuck are these lads on? But I think... I, I think the the problem is you've got that in one sense and the rise of the right wing and the rise of the conspiracy theorists is something we all need to kind of just be a little bit wary of and we need to pay attention to. But that, in terms of accountability and in terms of, you know, should, should as many people in Ireland have passed away from this pandemic as they have, I, I would always say, no, these a lot of these deaths should have been and, and were preventable. 
exactly. Think, I, I do think I do think political accountability will come into it. Um, now, look, it's complete hearsay and it's 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 complete speculation to, to believe anybody else in the hot seat would have done better. But y- you can look at what's being done and you can find the flaws. And while you or I, with the pressure that people are under in those positions, and we may have responded in the same way, who who knows? But what we do know is they didn't follow the advice. They broke from the scientific advice. I don't buy into this whole thing of Neffet being this unelected superpower that's out there to try and fucking hurt people. Stop that nonsense right now, lads. They're medical experts and scientists. And they specialise in this shit. And they're looking at it based on the evidence that they have available at the time and saying, this is how we would take it. That's all they're doing. They're not looking to benefit fucking Ryanair. They're not looking to benefit big supermarkets. Or they're not looking to benefit any part of the economy. And anyone who's saying the economy over people, as far as I'm concerned, needs to take a long, hard look in the mirror. Because if you gave them the simple choice of... Here, listen, I'll tell you what, you can have your economy and you can have all that, but at Christmas next year, your man and dad won't be sitting at the table. Let's see yeah. what the choice they'd make. And that sounds horrible, maybe, um, but but that's how I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm like, you know what? <sighs> yeah, look, the, the, the economy can be rebuilt. We've been through recessions before. Boom, bust is part of the cycle. That's free market capitalism in a nutshell. It means you're going to get all that bullshit. But yeah. a pandemic that comes once a century... Hey, you know, but Jesus, I'm sorry, tangent there and a ramble. <laughs> no, it's, it's, I just said I'd bring it up because you do see a lot of, um, you do see a lot of commentators, uh, I, and I don't mean like um, political correspondence or anything like that. I just mean, I know, jokes, I know what you mean, yeah. I just mean jokes of Twitter users that you'd follow commentators and they would point the finger at Trump and they would point the finger at Johnson. Mm. And I'm kind of going, can you just look closer to home here? I mean, why aren't yeah. you pointing the finger at Leo Varadkar and, and um, Michal Martin and Eamon Ryan? I mean, they're they're the leaders. They're the, the, they're in cabinet at the moment. They're the ones that decided to lift restrictions um, against the wishes of a 40-person team in Neffi. And Yeah, and I think I think it was the journal that I ate on one of their, their fact-check pieces, which are brilliant. I love when they do them because they just yeah. boil it down to brass tacks. And I think they um they had a specific piece on did the government follow Neffet's advice or did they break it uh, when they eased restrictions prior to Christmas? And they categorically found that they strayed from the advice. Yeah, that of course. They, they didn't adhere to it. So despite you've got, you know, and I think as well there's an element of kind of the... They wrote that the, piece on the back of Stephen Donnelly saying that we did listen. Stephen Donnelly did. said, we did listen to Neffet. And it's like, Ste- no, you didn't. Stephen Donnelly, my opinion... Um, and look, I freely admit, I am like, look, there's people out there who are far, far, far more intelligent and have far more reasoned opinions than I do. I'm just an armchair pundit who, you know, I read a little bit of stuff and a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. But in my opinion, Stephen Donnelly being the Minister for Health, as far as Leo, as far as Michael Martin and as far as Eamon Ryan are concerned, Stephen Donnelly being the Minister for Health is the equivalent of, uh, you know, a good day for bad news. He takes the heat away from them. Stephen Donnelly is right now a fucking magnet for the the palpable anger that people are feeling. And the thumbs up debacle didn't help him. His trampoline comments and it's just his general arrogance in interviews. So right now, as long as he's taking heat away from Leo, uh, from Michal Martin, 
of Mame and Ryan, he's doing them boys a favour. Whether it's intentional or not, whether it's by design or not, I don't know. But that's how I'm looking at it. That they're quite thankful that they have a little bit of a lemon doing that. Yeah, big time. Um, I just said yeah. I'll bring it up anyway. Anyway, who are we speaking to the t- tonight, Daniel? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Thankfully, thankfully, our guest this week is uh, far more versed in matters of politics yeah. and is far more is far more versed and far more knowledgeable than we could ever pretend to be. Um, and I say that thankful because I'm conscious we've just gone on an, uh, you know about a 10 minute rant <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where, where we're sprouting our own opinions uh, but thankfully we have an expert who can talk to us and break stuff down and everything else uh, she is the wonderful Eva Moore absolutely delighted to welcome back one of our favourite guests she's only been on the podcast once before but it was a memorable experience for all of us. And it's nearly a year today since she was back. She's now a political correspondent with the Irish Examiner, grabbing bylines and front pages all over the place. Aoife <laughs> Moore, how are you? Hello. Thanks for having me back. Happy anniversary. Happy you. anniversary to you, yeah. <laughs> One whole year together, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, you've, just, you've, you've been leaving me on red a lot lately. And, and my laptop Hi. just hit the deck. Um, <laughs> you all right? Yeah, yeah, it's grand. It's just a box. I have it almost wobbly, so I'll fix that. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll play on as if we're professionals. Did you, did you both like... I'm sure like this is how, like, Joe um, Rogan does it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Did yeah. you both like the Beyonce thing? Yeah, that was disturbing. As I said to you, Graham, uh, an afro would suit you. Mmm... Definitely. I'm gonna put her um, up on the podcast uh, Twitter page. Dude, everyone, you're you're fond of that face swap app, aren't you? There's nothing else it to do. It freaks me out. It's it's too, there's some of them that are too. You've done one or two of me, and I've been like, oh, that's me. Nightmares for the month now. I can't hack this. The ones I used to find really funny were did you ever do the face swap? People you see it, and it's people have done it with their baby, and it's like the dad's oh, that, face on no, the baby's like, face. They freak me out. I can't, I can't hack it. I don't know what it is. Yeah. No face swap. I'm just like, nope, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> they are absolutely crazy. No, a friend, no. a friends of mine, we have a WhatsApp group and we just three of us and it's, there's no conversation. It's just pictures of his brother and his brother's baby in a face swap and all different. <laughs> it's not that active now, but it'll be active maybe every three months where we go, look at this. <laughs> And you're just looking at it and it just freaks the shit out of you. Hilarious. Yeah, now, see, I, I'd, I'd be terrified one night I'll, I'll wake up in a cold sweat and standing over with me will be a fully grown man with a baby's head. And it just yeah. terrifies me. It just The thought of that terrifies me. There's nothing else to do, Danny, so I love you. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not changing the nappy, lads. I am not changing. <laughs> True, there, is, there isn't a whole lot else to do at the moment. Uh I'm, I'm still recovering here from my laptop taking a spill, lads. So, uh, <laughs> very professionally, I'm sure you get this in RTE all the time. Um, grand. I think everybody's the same. <laughs> yeah, at this stage, yeah. Uh, you're, 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 you're quite a, quite regular on RTE these days. You know, now Saturday segment. Hey, they've, they've brought a, they've brought a northerner on. Can you, can yeah. you believe it? Um, yeah, I do Louise McSharry on a Saturday morning. Um, she's so so sound. I'm filling in for Ellen Coyne. She's away having a baby because you know lockdown. What else are you gonna do? Yes, so yes, Ellen went yes. and had a baby. So I'm filling in for her. So it means I can't drink on a Friday night, which is 
It's probably a good thing. <laughs> you can have one now. I can't. I don't see the point in having one. So I'm like, oh, I'll just keep it to the Saturday night so I can get pretty on it. Um, are you still? Yeah, you were breaking up there, but I think you're right now. Since um, the laptop fell, it's touching yeah, yeah. the <laughs> it, it really is, like. Um, I thought I was being clever today, and I was like, I'm going to put the laptop on a little box. It'll be slightly higher. It'll be easier to control everything. And then the laptop falls. And I'm like, well, this is a fucking great start, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Don't change it. Yeah, do a trial no, run. Yeah, I should have done a trial run. Um, are, are people still giving you guff over your accent when they hear you on the national broadcast, Reefa? I I do get quite a lot. Um, less now than I used to. Um, it tends to be always men. Um, I would get emails and messages about. It's not so much. Sometimes it's about the accent. It's mostly about how I talk. Um, so if I say things like, "Oh, me and Paul," I'll get like shitty emails saying, oh, "It's Paul and I. Could you learn how to speak English and all this sort of stuff?" But like, do me See that that <laughs> That, that Paul and I are me and Paul, that boils my piss when people correct that. Because sometimes me and Paul is correct. <laughs> and like what they're saying, though, in not so many words is that they just don't like hearing working class people on the radio. And like mm. my friend, Fiacre, is also at RTE, Fiacre O'Kenny, and he's from Fingless. And he gets similar emails and similar messages saying could you not learn how to speak English like the way you talk and like he's not going to change the way he talks because that's Mm. the way he talks but he gets a lot of grief about it as well and it's basically anyone who has a working class sort of regional accent people will always email or send messages the the negative reviews of our podcast on Apple tend to focus around (laughs) tend to focus around our accents and the fact that we're uh woke Joe Rogan light we were once called and I was like well if if we're making the money that he's making I take it but mm-hmm. otherwise he's a bell end I'm not a big fan but anyway yeah I was um, going to say I'd gladly tell you that the comparison with Joe Rogan starts there other than you spoke to have a podcast because I am yeah. not a fan either I don't, Meryl's quite fond of Meryl's quite fond of the DMT I heard though you know what I mean yeah yeah <laughs> And I can't. What's what's that Canadian philosopher who was a bit of a wanker? What's his name? Oh, that is it. Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. Meryl's mad for the Jordan Peterson. That he has all his boots. Holy hell! Who that? Brilliant. Hands on the I do. I withdraw that comment. That's a horrible pox to put upon somebody. I wouldn't dare. Didn't he get really sick? He was only eating like meat and lard, uh, and then he got really ill or something. Did any of you read the feature? No, I didn't get to feel I was a, not a subscriber to Times, but oh it was with the Times, God. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I can't remember the journalist's name, but it was fucking bonkers. Essentially, was it with his daughter? Well, it was yeah, meant to be with him. Yeah, it was meant to be with him, but then because of... And if something's genuinely wrong with him, like, you know, get well soon, mate, or whatever. But, like, apparently he basically has a panic attack halfway through the interview and has to leave. His daughter takes over, and, like, it just... It gets so bizarre, and they start talking about all these things about like medication is all like making them worse. So they sent them to Russia to this rehab clinic because her husband is Russian, and the Russians apparently were all like, "Yeah, it is medicine. We fix this," <laughs> and because that's exactly how they sound in Russia. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> you sound like someone from Goldeneye, which is the best James Bond film, I will say. <laughs> 
it is a quality James Bond film. Any film where Robbie Coltrane is pretending to be Russian is a film that I want to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, is there more than one of them? Because if there is, I need to see it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they sent him there and they put him on this like mad restrictive diet and now they're all on this mad restrictive diet and apparently it's uh, made them even more woke and it's it's just bonkers. It's... Or anti-woke, aren't they? Well, yeah, sorry, yeah. And, sorry, anti-woke, yeah, that's probably more appropriate. It's quite funny because like, there's a lot of talk these days about woke and woke to me means the same as politically correct as it just means treating people with respect. So mm-hmm. it's okay. weird when people use it as an insult, but like, oh, because you're so woke, and it's like, oh, because I have manners. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Us. yeah. Which is a you shock because you're so working class, Aoife. I'm surprised that. <laughs> working class people always have the best manners, I find. You'll never find a working class people who's cheeky to a waiter or a barman. That's that's very true. That's very true. You also won't find a working class person looking at that Black Rock video from during the week and saying, that was a good <laughs> video, lads. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was a good yeah. video. Know what, I, know what I thought the most about when I watched it? That even the statue of Mary looked disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Like, And it's it's mad. I, I tweeted that a friend of mine who has his kids there, um, and he texted me back. I texted, I sent it to him. I said, what the fuck is this? And he wrote back saying, "I had hoped you you wouldn't you wouldn't come across it." And he was very very embarrassed by it. And he was like, "It's absolutely, um, it's an uh, what did he say? He said it's insulting and it's uh, it's embarrassing." Yeah, it's um, the parody ones were hilarious. They were. There were some absolute crackers in there. And then uh, what, what's your man's name that does all the music video thingies? Michael Fry. Did he do one yet? Yeah. Oh, he should. Uh, he he probably will be soon. He said one of the most uh, common requests is the Kosamui Cup one. Yeah, Remember that yeah. one? Where the lads yeah. are sending it. Absolutely. Oh, sending. yes, 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 yes. Absolutely sending it. Just yes. total horseplay. <laughs> yeah, that one. Oh, uh, my God. These are yeah. real people. Like, but if it's... you had to send, if they had made that Black Rock video the way they, they did and they sent it out, if they had to just label that as a parody, you probably would have got more respect. Oh, 100%, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think this is also this is a very Dublin centered conversation. Like, as somebody not from Dublin, when you come down here, I am really struck, especially as I know because my job would include a lot more private school people than other people's. But Mm. when you come down to Dublin, and people automatically assume that you know, first of all, what these schools are, who goes to them, and what the people who go there are like. And like, you'd find around Leinster House, (laughs) people would be like, Oh, is that so typical of Hamlo? Like that's so Gonzaga, and I'm standing there like, what <laughs> is a Gonzaga? <laughs> is that one of those things they row down the canal? Is that what yeah, that is? Isn't like it? I was, I was like, what's a Gonzaga? And they were like, oh, it's the school to go to. And like I didn't know obviously what Black Rock was. And like I think in Dublin especially, you tend to think that these places are famous, and they're actually not. It's like if you ever walk around. Trinity like before Covid they'd often have press conferences for different things in Trinity in the college grounds or whatever and it's really hard to navigate but Trinity people think Trinity is like the centre of the earth so if you're there and you're like could you sorry I'm looking for the science building they probably have better names than the science building but whatever like if you (laughs) say I'm looking for the science building and the person will stop and be like 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you just go uh, down towards the quad there and then you pass the statue of Jesus and it's just there on your left. And I was like, where's the quad? What is the quad? Where's Jesus? Like, (laughs) they assume that you know, you know, the grounds of Trinity because why would you not know the grounds of Trinity? And I find that with the schools as well. They were like, oh, well, she went to... Or it often comes up when you're talking about um, politicians like Mary Lou or whatever, like, oh, she went to blah, 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 or Notre Dame College or whatever. And I was mm. like, all right. And they were like, that's private. And I had to be like, all right, okay. Because when you're talking to people and you're not from Dublin, they kind of will speak to you as if you're supposed to know what all these things are. Whereas in the North, like, it's totally alien that anyone would ever go to a private school. Like, I think there is one private school in Belfast but I actually don't know because I'd never I don't know anyone who's been there private school is there none of Derry? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no definitely definitely not the, the system up there is like isn't there some and I could be getting this wrong but when you're like age like 8 or 9 or something don't you do a test and that test decides whether you go into like a grammar school or a yeah so it's called the 11 plus and you do it when you're 11 but they so this it's is not eight or nine, like, right okay no <laughs> it's not the eight or nine plus um but it's been going since like my dad was at school i think it came in like the 60s early 60s mm. but it's basically a test when i was doing it a long time ago it was marked out of 75 i don't know if that's still a case but the way it was when I was at school was you did the 11 plus and then you got your results. So you got like an A, it went A, B1, B2, C1, C2, D. And then depending on what you got, you applied to schools, you know, like you applied to university. Mm. You applied to schools and they would say, um, they get your results as well. And then they accept you for whatever. So if you've applied to say one college and then you get an A, they'll accept you or whatever. So your 11 plus results day, you'll find out what you got, but you don't find out the school that you're going to until a couple, like a month or so later. But they tried to, like Martin McGuinness, when he was the education minister, really wanted to get rid of it. Um, there's been campaigns by, like, I think the Alliance Party and stuff are against it as well, to get rid of it because it puts 11 year olds under, like, a massive amount of unneeded stress. And, like, especially, like, when I was cutting about if people had like wealthier parents they got chitters and people who didn't have wealthy parents didn't get chitters and you know you'd hear these horror stories about like people being sent to like chitters for three hours after a full day at school or going on a Saturday um I was, my family were like you're not, you're not doing that. we're not wasting money on chitters um, <laughs> but um they have you don't have to do it now so you used to have to do it but you don't have to do it now, but schools will do their own transfer test. So if a school is a grammar school, it has quite a high opinion of itself. They'll have their own transfer test where you go to the school and you sit an exam that's like the 11 plus and they decide based on the mark that you get then. It's all very, very strange. Like when you hear, especially people who love in like, I lived in Scotland for years. And yeah, people like all, oh, like how do you end up at secondary school? They just go to the one that's closest to their house, which... Like, to me, makes a lot more sense, but I, it's completely different up there. But it's an ongoing thing. I don't think we'll ever fully be rid of it because also we still have the Catholic Protestant dynamic yeah. going on as well. I say Catholic Protestant, it's Catholic slash 
everybody else. So, for instance, my cousin is married to a Hindu fella and he had to go to school in the waterside in Derry, which is typically where the Protestants uh, lived in Derry. And he had to go to an integrated school, which usually just means Protestants. And for that part of the waterside was just Protestants and Hindus. So when they met, and when my cousin met, he knew all the words to the sash, but <laughs> he's Indian. <laughs> <laughs> but because like that's the school you went to and all his friends were Protestant because obviously there wasn't a massive Indian community in there anyway mm-hmm. um, so like all his friends were Protestants and that's the, they all supported Rangers and they all like sang the sash when they all went to the pub and stuff like that so it's mad how like it kind of divided because Catholics cause they, like, could only take Catholics but the integrated schools had to take everybody yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of a mad system. bit of a mad system. I think when you're 11 down here, the, the, the thing you worry about most is rather your mate's big brother has told you the truth about what you're doing with women. <laughs> that, was the thing, that was the thing that terrified all of us going into secondary school. <laughs> Speak for yourself. He's like, I have, kissed a girl, but I have kissed a girl, but she lives in my granny street and you wouldn't know her. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I did. No, I, I'm not a frigid. No, no. I kissed a girl in Spain. I mean, holidays. I mean, yeah. holidays. Yeah. I was the other one. Yeah. I was the other one. My best friend at school yeah. was also called Aoife, and she had quite the romantic life on holidays, but never seemed to kiss anybody. <laughs> Classic. Um, but it, that whole kind of private school and Black Rock and all that kind of stuff, like. That sees itself into a lot of kind of life in Ireland in, in terms of grown up world. Like earlier on, it's in you, you had an article today, I think it was uh, today when we're recording this about kind of doll committees and the fact that only 40% of them have female members. It's a bit of a boys club mentality kind of everywhere, isn't there? Totally, totally boys club. Like the story today is about um, cabinet committees. So that's like subcommittees within the cabinet for ministers. And the thing that annoyed me the most was that there's a subcommittee on health and a subcommittee on COVID-19 and neither of those have any women ministers on them. And it just like, especially in this country and what we have gone through in the last couple of years with repeat the eighth and cervical check that no one at any point thought maybe we should put a female minister on the health this cabinet subcommittee for health. And they might say, well, the minister for justice remit isn't really anything to do with health or COVID-19 or whatever it is, but 50% of the population is women. So yeah. even if they're, re- I would also argue that the Minister for Public Expenditures remit isn't that essential to COVID, but he sits on that committee. So I think like it is just constantly all the time with politicians and with political parties is that you have to embarrass them on this. Like there has to be quotas. And like as Holly Cairn said the other day, like, there's six times the amount of men called Michael and who are elected TDs in Cork than there is women. Yeah. Yeah. There's one woman TD out of 18 TDs in Cork and six men are called Michael. <laughs> Mad, also, get I'm, some creativity down there. What's going on? Yeah, that, that, is, <laughs> yeah. that is the most Irish stat I've ever heard in my life. Like, it's yeah. just ridiculous. Um, but it's like... And it's, it's mad because you constantly hear, there's constantly like reports being published. And I'm conscious as well that like me and Mara are two blokes who have a podcast and we're trying to now, you know, talk about kind of like, oh, we need to do more for women kind of thing. Uh, like, but 
you constantly hear these reports about kind of gender pay gaps and about, like you were saying there, quotas and, you know, how things like uh, kind of any, any, any of the negatives you hear out there kind of disproportionately affect women. And yet, you know, every year we're having the same conversations and around March 8th, it's the same topics, it's the same things. Like, is there any progress being made? Um, like, I would say I, but the statistics don't really show it. Like, in the doll, in the last election, like when we last spoke in February, I think we gained just one female TD, which mm. is pretty, like, it's pretty depressing, especially because when it comes to community groups and community activism, women tend to be the backbone of those kind of groups and that kind of, especially, you know, like, charity work and advocacy and stuff, like, they're really female-dominated. But what women are saying to me and what you often find is that the political party structure whether like it's a local group or a local common or whatever it is, it doesn't really lend itself very much to women because they tend to be run by men. They tend to be at awkward hours where women and women might have more childcare responsibilities. They're more likely to look after elderly, like parents, like stuff like that. And like it's all well and good. This is the other thing. I actually think it was Lynn Rianne who said this once. But the other thing is like there's you know, having a quota for elections or whatever is one thing, but there is no point putting women on tickets who aren't going to win. You know what I mean? Mm. So if there's, say, somewhere, we'll use Fianna Fáil just as an example, but say there's a two, like Cork, right? So we'll use Cork South Central, right? So that's a two-seater for Fianna Fáil, or Michael McGrath and uh, Michael Martin or whatever. Then sticking a, a woman as the third candidate on that ticket knowing that she's not going to win that seat because those two are usually a long time politicians or long time ministers or whatever it is those two men are going to win those two seats and they know there isn't three quotas there enough Mm. you know for the woman so there's often this thing too that like this notion that it's always the way we've done things these are safe seats because of this particular man so you'll see political parties that they'll put enough women uh, on to get their quota but they're not actually doing anything to go out of their way to make to see women get elected and the other thing is I think it always stands out is that men have far more confidence than women whether that's whether they're um what's the word whether they're enabled they or not right they have way more confidence and like men are rarely asked to stand where they'll put themselves forward well, whereas women wait to be asked and I remember thinking about this before and I was thinking about like really strong women in the doll and went and asked a couple of them were, did you put yourself forward for election or were you asked and people like Mary Lee McDonald and Rabbit people like women that we have known as like really strong performers in the doll they didn't put themselves forward for election they had to be asked to stand so there is something as well in saying to women that you can be a politician and then you can be a minister and that we need people like you in the doll. And I do think, you know, the more we see parties who actually try with their female candidates, you know, the Social Democrats are a really good example, but then they have two women at the head, like Champagne, they have two women at the head. So it's more likely they're going to attract more women and be more supportive Mm. of women if women are at the head of the party. So, and then there's other, like, 
issues as well is like people are just less likely to vote for a woman that's the other issue and then the political party who all you care about is one in some states why would you risk it you know what I mean like there are great candidates who just doesn't get um elected and uh, my airpod just fell out there um but as it's a lot to do with the mindset as well and like there is no point setting all these quotas and saying we want more women in politics but not going out of your way to do anything about it you know TDs still don't get maternity leave only now has someone decided we should probably give them maternity leave we should also probably allow them to vote from home like the bill to vote from home has only recently come on this week so like everything else there's plenty of chat about it and like there are things we could do now to make it better but also the other side of it is is it's a really thankless job even if the money yeah. is really good and people are really hateful and would you be bothered that that there's there's two things you said there that really jumped out to me about just how skewed politics in ireland is to uh being male dominated there's no parameter for maternity leave and then when you combine that with is it Regina Doherty is the first sitting TD who's going to have a baby while Helen McEntee. Helen, Helen McEntee. McEntee, sorry, Helen McEntee. She's so, the first sitting cabinet minister who's going to give birth while she's in cabinet. Yeah, and so th- that combined with the fact that there's no provision for maternity leave just says how little has been thought of women in politics throughout the history of the doll. And also that women before this have never felt comfortable enough to bring it up. Yeah. If they were comfortable enough to bring it up, nothing ever got done. But there is also a notion of like, you know, I talked about this when I did my piece on sexual harassment as well, that mm. you don't want to say anything because then it's used against you. Like, oh, she's always complaining or she's always giving off or she's a, she's a crier or whatever. So once you're in there, there is that kind of temptation to like, just put your head down and get on with because you don't want to be seen then as like, oh, she's always complaining and she wants maternity leave and all this sort of stuff. So you can see why people, you know, don't want to bring it up. But I do think it is changing. And Helen McEntee actually put out a really good statement when it came out that she was pregnant. She said that she was taking maternity leave and she would be taking the full maternity leave. And she said that she wasn't just doing it for her and her baby, but she was doing it for female politicians as well because she shouldn't have to feel that she has to rush back to work. They should be allowed to take their maternity is is there this kind of faux uh, kind of heroin thing that you you hear these stories of like oh she was back to work three weeks after giving birth like yeah. when I when I hear that I'm kind of like if if that's what she really wanted great but like mm-hmm. come on you know yeah I think there is a bit of that like oh isn't she great and she was back at work you know within a couple of months and I think it's a really really sad indictment on either society or the person's job that you could go through such a life-changing thing and body-changing thing as having a baby and then feel like you would have to go back to work. You know, the other thing about this is, is like, it's never enough to just, for women, to just ask for something that which should be a right. Like, we had, I think her name's Catherine Stalker. She's a social Democrat councillor in Dublin. And she went through an incredibly hard labour and her baby actually died. And she was back to the council within two weeks because... They don't have any provision for maternity. And she said even when she was in intensive care with her baby, she was worried about the work that she was missing because they don't get maternity. So she was like just taking obviously the time off her own back. And then she went back to work after the baby died. And like 
women also shouldn't have to t- tell the public these incredibly heartbreaking stories in yeah. order to be listened to. Like, yeah. the worst possible thing shouldn't have to happen to you so you can get a basic right that you would get if you worked in Tesco's. Absolutely, absolutely. I was listening yeah. to the radio the other day as well, and um, as well as politics in terms of the quota, I found uh, very ironic that the topic of conversation was end period poverty and all the panellists were men. <laughs> oh, God. How the fuck does this make sense, lads? Just sitting well where they have a chatting about well where they have a preference of tampons and pads. Like, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, if, if like, is that researcher on the show or the producer, like... A man? Like, like, <laughs> I, I just don't know what, what, what they're thinking, like... Well, like if they were to be questioned for it, would they say, "Oh, well, we tried to get women and we couldn't"? Well, if you if we, you could if you try and you couldn't, people say, "Well, if you try and you couldn't get them, don't think. have the conversation. Wait until you can get women." Yeah, that's like I've called out a couple of TV programs and a couple of radio shows a couple of times on social media saying, "Why are you only having men having this conversation?" And it's not necessarily about women's issues. All issues. Like, unless mm. it's literally about, like, testicular cancer, you should have a woman on. And um, even then, women know men with balls, so... Yeah. <laughs> there, there seems like a perfect segue here to our Manscaped ad, so I'm just going to put that in, and then we'll come straight back. We'll be right back to our guest, but first we need a quick word from our friends at Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming. Valentine's Day is right around the corner and you need to make sure you're ready for that special day. Manscaped will sort you out because they have the right tools for your family jewels and all you have to do is drop the hint. If your loved one is struggling for a gift this year, just tell them. Head on over to manscaped.com, pop in the code WTSPOD, you get 20% off and free shipping. Trust us, it'll be a great gift for you and a great gift for them. Hit up for the Perfect Package 3.0. It is led by the third generation revolutionary trimmer, the Lawnmower 3.0, with a skin safe technology and its cutting edge ceramic blade. So you'll have no nicks, no tugs, no scratches. It's incredible. It really is. There's loads of bits and pieces in that uh, Perfect Package 3.0 to keep your town halls looking great, feeling great, and smelling great. Trust us, you won't be sorry. Head on over, manscaped.com, use the code WTSPOD. Get rid of that 80s retro bush. It's head trimming season, lads, and you need the lawnmower 3.0 to get you through. Manscaped.com, WTSPOD, 20% off, free shipping. Your balls will thank you. Back to our guest. <laughs> Paul, like, call, called out people before saying, like, why do you only have men talking about whatever issue it is? And they'll say, oh, like, we tried to get a woman, but, like, we couldn't get anyone. And, you know, it's hard to believe that you couldn't find one woman on the end of a phone. No one is coming into studios now anyway. Everyone is ringing in and doing stuff over Skype. Mm. So you can speak to women, especially on TV programs. Like, there's no excuse on TV programs now because, with, like, I'm just using these as the example. But, like, for instance, like, the Tonight Show or Primetime, like, at least two of the guests come in via Zoom anyway. So there's just no reason why... They can't, you know, even if they had childcare or whatever issue it might a woman might have for not coming on, that can be dealt with a lot easier now. But I do think, like, the more people call stuff like that out, like I called out a TV show about six months ago 
and the presenter actually DM'd me on Twitter and was quite annoyed about it. Um, but they haven't made the same mistake since. No, I'm not saying that was to do with me, but I do think that kind of pressure and people are realising it. And I think what you do notice a lot more now is men saying, here, yeah, oh, what's going on here? Like... Could you not so, find so did one that, did that presenter Was that presenter that DM'd you? Were they, were they giving out to you? Yeah. Oh, they said, uh, well, you know, all my producers are women and uh, I will take offence on their behalf um, because we try really hard to get women on the show. And I said, well, I didn't mean any offence to your producers, but I'm sure that you can realise having X amount of guests, not, woman, not one of them were women and the host is also a man doesn't look very good in 2020 and then they didn't reply (laughs) but um yeah I'm sure I'm sure he's over it now I do go mad as well like with um with with disability issues at a government level I was just gonna say like there's no one uh for for all things like that whether it's women's issues or disabilities or immigration it's so rare that you have someone especially at a government level, not even like the civil service, but even a government level or civil service that actually would, you know, have a first-hand kind of knowledge about the thing. And we see it, like, the most common one I see all the time is, like, there's been a Garda crackdown on sex workers. And they do, the Garda's doing loads and loads of media about what, what they're doing about sex workers. And the laziest journalism is the journalists who print what the Garda are saying. And then that's the end of the article. Even though we have a full alliance of sex workers with a press officer who will tell you what they think is happening. And it's just basic journalism to me. But I think you'll know yourself, Mero, like when it comes to disability issues, it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. And it's infuriating uh, uh, at the stakeholders and the decision makers. And none of them are have experience of disability. I am... Um, or we had Finian McGrath, whose daughter with a disability, mm-hmm. uh, and I think Finian tried his best, but mm-hmm. he he just had stumbling block after stumbling block. And I met him a few times. Um, he came out to a couple of basketball matches, and mm-hmm. I'd met him prior to his election, and I and I felt um, I felt a human co- kind of connection almost. And then when he was elected, I felt like it was just a rushed thing it was just like uh, it was like oh yeah yeah we'll we'll sort that of course we will of course we will and then just see you later i was like mm-hmm. hold on a minute it, it's just yeah it, it's it's very annoying um yeah i'm sorry i was just thinking out loud there um no but you find that we most you'll find that we most ministers like look at you know when it comes to government like no one gets what they want look what's happening to the greens I know it's a slightly different thing with Finian, but like it is one of those things that once you become a minister, like promises that you made before don't really mean anything um, in the long run. And we're seeing this a lot now with the Greens um, because being in government is a completely different kettle of fish. Yeah, they've, they, they have. Especially all with the Senate stuff. It's not been a good week for them. Like even just today, you know, for like people listening today was the day that they gave in over the road. The road, that's what we call it in the office now, the road. The road in Limerick that they've been fighting over for four weeks. The fight is over. Eamon Ryan gave in. The road is happening. But, uh, and this is in the midst of all the CETA, uh Canada trade deal stuff. So it's not, it's not been an easy 
It hasn't been an easy year for the Green Party with, with grassroots people leaving them, uh, bullying, allegations of bullying. It's 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 actually been a shit show considering their uh, government party. Yeah, like I've spoke to a lot of people who have left and they basically all kind of say the same thing is that they had such a quick upsurge in popularity. Like they gained a lot of supporters really, really fast in the months leading up to the election. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really have a conversation about what the party was about. You know, all parties are a broad church, but the Greens literally had like everyone from, you know, people who would vote Fine Gael Green Party. And then there was people who would vote like people before profit Green Party. And like there was no solid conversation about what they would and wouldn't give up in government or whether they would go in to government. That's why like when Saoirse McHugh came out and said, well, if they go on with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, I'm going to leave. Because for a lot of people like that in the party, that was totally unthinkable. And I think that's the lesson. They didn't learn anything from the last time. They didn't really discuss what the party was. And also, if you looked at the Green Manifesto and the policies that they had like agreed on, there are really, really, really left wing, um, like social democratic party. Like they're even when you look at some of the stuff, like it's it's mad, you know, you compare it to the people in government, but like you know, they're against the, dec- they're for the decriminalisation of sex work, they're for the decriminalisation of drugs, they're against the special criminal court, like these are all very people before profits, yeah. lefty type things, but like that's not really reflective of the party that they have in government now. Yeah, I, th- I think, th- and and this is pure anecdotal, because I am not a politico in any way, shape or form, but like for example, I voted for the Greens as one of my transfers, Um Partially the whole vote left, transfer left, left kind of appealed to me and I thought like, all right, grand. But the other side was, I was kind of looking at it and I was saying, all right, look, the world is on fire, right? You had the fires in Australia, the Amazon was on fire, mm-hmm. you David Attenborough making a sad TV show every couple of months, you had Donald <laughs> Trump out there saying climate change wasn't real. You had all these things and I was kind of like, if Ireland's going to have a climate action plan and if Ireland is actually going to do anything, like we're a fucking small island in the Atlantic We'll get swallowed if climate change gets really bad. So my head mm-hmm. was like, I'm going to consciously vote green in the hope that that then amplifies a voice for we'll get something good out of climate change. And there's been some progress and you see some things around like developments around green energy and, uh, and environmental stuff improving. But it's all the other stuff that you guys have mentioned that makes me go, oh, would I vote for them again? Well, even, even, their, even their green stuff in the manifesto like people for our profit was far more greener than the actual Green Party mm. and some other stuff. Like and even Sinn Fein to a certain extent as well. Um, I thought. And it's funny you were saying there about the Green Party's manifesto because their their stuff and disability was a copy and paste job from people for our profit, as far as I'm concerned. Because <laughs> I went looking on all the manifestos for stuff and disability, and it was like I was reading what people for our profit were saying. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, in, in in the year that, that we spoke to you last, uh, Eva, and with the Green Party's uh, deal with the devil, so to speak. Um, <laughs> There's completely, completely non-biased there, Meryl. Yeah. Do you think... De- deal with the devil. Sorry, can, we just, can we just pull this back a second here? Can we, sorry, can we just... Deal with the devil. Is there a, is there an element of drama in that one, man? Or... Oh, absolutely! Like you, you, you had you had um, people leaving the party over their deal with the devil. So, um, 
Actually, okay. it's funny you mentioned Saoirse McHugh and we were talking about quota and men and men complaining to you and you're on RTE on a Saturday. When she decided to leave the Green Party, um, she was absolutely attacked by men. Founded. Absolutely mm-hmm. hounded. It was crazy. But do you think they'll be decimated should a general election be called or in the next general election? I don't think they'll do as badly as people think they will. Um, I think the Greens and Fine Gael are very much hitched to the same wagon now, whether um, either party likes it or not. I think there are a lot of really well-off people who are really concerned about the climate emergency. And, you know, they want people like Eamon Ryan and Austin Smith and Catherine Martin, you know, they're really they're cut from the same cloth you know they're all very well mannered and come across really well and like they're not the type of you know socks and sandals and muesli and green party that they were concerned about you know that kind of I do think they're people keep saying like all oh, the greens are going to be wiped out the greens are going to be wiped out but I think if this government lasts the distance I think most of the ministers um will Maybe, I was going to say most of the ministers will keep their job, most of the green ministers will keep their job, but there's some who will keep their job, and I do think it'll be because they're good partners in government, Daphne Gale and Fianna Fáil, they're seen as, you know, steady hands, I think Catherine Martin's well liked in the ministry she's in, because the ministry she's in is, although it's tourism and stuff, it's also a lot to do with the arts and people who go to the theatre and that kind of stuff, so Mm. I think because they've been such good partners in government, there will be a reward for people like that. And I think um, some of them might keep their seats. But I think anyone who basically got their seat from vote left, transfer left, do I name any names or anything? But like, you don't know what it's going to happen. But I don't I don't think they'll want any seats. <laughs> but yeah. I think they might hang on to a couple. I don't think they'll be decimated because I think there are people who would naturally maybe vote Fine Gael and would vote for the Greens as well because they are worried about the climate. In terms of those political bedfellows, and you're saying like Fianna Gael and Green kind of they're hitched to the same wagon or whatever, earlier this week we, we heard rumblings from Fianna Fáil that, you know, the Sinn Féin bed is starting to look a little bit more comfortable. That's... Yeah. That, that's, bad, that's, that's quite a development, surely. It's actually not. Um, after the election... Um, I spoke to Afina Fall TD, sorry, who reckoned that nearly two thirds of the party would be open to talking to Champagne, but they didn't want to tell me all. So it's not actually that shocked. Um, you can speak to Champagne TDs who'll tell you that there have been Fianna Fall TDs saying to them since before the election that they thought they should go on together. I think if Mihal Martin had the chance, he would roll them out completely, but I think he knows. Next time around, he's probably not going to get the chance. You know, we've already had Big Jim, who we talked about the last time I was on the Absolutely. podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> Big Jim has always been kind of flagging that he wouldn't rule out Sinn Féin. He's also on a one-man band crusade to take Mihal's job. So I'm not really shocked because I think what Mihal Martin says and what most of the people in his party say tend to be two different things. And this has been going on for quite a while. There's been a, quite a lot of kind of backroom conversation about the fact that Fianna Fáil would be open um, to get under government with Sinn Féin. Because a lot of people in Fianna Fáil don't see themselves as having anything in common with 
Finnegan at the end of the day, they still mm-hmm. see it as that's the the old enemy, and they don't really want anything to do with them. They don't see any commonality between themselves and the likes of Regina Doherty and you know Leo Varadkar or whatever. So I would not be one but surprised. Um, and I'd say when it comes up to the next election, there'll be very much less Sinn Féin bashing from Fianna Fáil, but from Fianna Gael and the Greens, you'll see it a lot a lot worse because it's going to become a very clear split in the next election, I think. Is is Hall Martin having a bit of a tar of time in terms of, like like you were saying there, that he's saying one thing, but then, you know, the party ranks are saying another thing, and he has something similar going on with his tarnished day, and he says something, and then Leo seems to come out and say something else. He, I mean, he's trying to hold it all together, in fairness to him, but it's, it's, it's not an easy job right now, like... No, it's not. And like, I do think his TDs uh, do him a massive disservice. I think at the end of the day, you know, Michal Martin has put in the years with Fianna Fáil, um, brought them back um, from the brink, although he hasn't been that successful in the last 10 years. If they didn't get into government uh, this time in February, Michal Martin would no longer be the leader of Fianna Fáil. They just wouldn't have stomached it. I think getting um, Fianna Gael and the Greens together like stands to him and the fact that Fianna Fáil are back in power stands him. He's a Taoiseach. But, um, and, they do, and they do you a great disservice. But then they do him a great disservice because they don't feel like he listens to them. They don't feel like he listens to the members. He only listens to a small group of advisors. When you hear people like, you know, Mark McShoy going off as not in the PP, like, say what you, like, say what you want about Mark McShoy. But Mark McSharry is the only person who's really saying it to Micheál's face. You know, there's plenty of backroom chatting going on behind Micheál Martin's back. And Micheál Martin knows there is. But at least, like, whatever you think of Mark McSharry, I'd so much rather somebody said it to my face and said it behind my back. Because you can read, you could pick up a paper any day of the week. We could follow the paper every day of the week with off-the-record commentary about Micheál Martin. But nobody wants to say it on the record. And it just, it, it's a larger kind of problem within Fianna Fáil and it's what got them into government with Fianna Gael and the Greens was well nobody really wanted to tell Michal because he wouldn't listen to you anyway and that's kind of the reason why he is the way he is now It's a mad mad world we're living in well you know around, around the corridors of Leinster House at least um, but I think it's always of... been like this though there are always kind of mutinies going on against people Yeah I was, I was going to say one of the the lighter things that I've seen coming out of Lancer House this year, Eva, has been your Instagram stories, where, where <laughs> yeah. you give us where you give us little behind the scenes of, of all the it's different great, things going on. I, I'm like the anti Richard Chambers. He gives you all the news, and I'm just like, here is the Gerd's bathroom. Uh, here is the coffee machine. <laughs> it's class, though. I think like it's it's one of the things. I, I think me and Mara were saying this. I think it was around Christmas time we were talking about Mara, where like. I don't, and I don't know, maybe it's just because I didn't pay as much attention to the news previously or whatever, but I feel like over the last sort of 12 day, day months, like the public are blessed with kind of the riches that the fourth wall has given us in terms of obviously yourself, Eva, you've got Sarah King, you've got Richard Chambers, Gav Royley, you know, like it's just this fucking array of deadly journalists who not only have embraced social media and started to kick on with that, but who are producing just quality, quality work. And it's, it's all those elements combined like that are like, yeah, fair enough. Richard Chambers isn't giving us, you know, well, it'd be weird if he's giving us the girls' bathrooms, but you know what I mean? <laughs> he's, not, he's not giving us the behind the scenes as such. But I don't know. I, I'm 
I like I think that more of that sort of stuff is what people need. Like it normalizes some of the things that previously yeah. you just didn't know about, like. I think so too. And I think, you know, the pandemic, like a couple of people have said that to me, but the pan- pandemic has really brought out um the best in some young journalists like the like so, you know, Rob O'Hanrahan and you said about, you know, Zara King and, and Richard and Paul Hosford as well. And I think it was just I don't know if it was the pandemic or everybody paying more attention to the news or or what it was, but like I think as well, like the big issue with journalism, and I like say this with the greatest respect for the people who came before me, but I do think for a long time there'd been a kind of stagnation, not necessarily in putting out good work, but the public have felt really disconnected from journalists for a long time and I think that also goes like that's a larger point that I always am banging on about about Leinster House is that if you can't relate um to the people in Leinster House like why would you be bothered about voting if you don't see anyone who looks like you or sounds like you or acts like you and like why would you expect like just we'll just use say Charlie High for as an example but you know for God's sake but but like for the Taoiseach or uh or even Berta Heron for that instance like oh Jesus a, pers- a person who is so very far removed from your normal day-to-day life like the Galway tent like that kind of part of politics as like put people off for a really long time and I think journalism has been seen to be part of that whether rightly or wrongly for a long time and like a lot of political journalists were men older men very middle class and I think it's only a good thing that journalism no don't get me wrong Irish journalism is still the whitest place in the world um there are very little journalists of color there are no disabled journalists there isn't a vast array of LGBT journalists but there are people now from different backgrounds like not everyone went to private school not everyone's from Dublin not everyone has two parents or whatever kind of background it is there are more people coming around that start to look and sound like other people and I think that's why people relate to them as much and like about more and like for all the grief you know that I get or people saying like I get also like you're trashy and you're classless and you don't know how you talk and all this sort of stuff I think for all that a lot of people relate to the likes of me and relate to people like Zara and relate to people like Rob and Paul because we seem a lot more approachable like a lot more normal and I think that's probably what people need, especially in the pandemic. You're kind of like, you don't need journalists talking down to you. Are you saying Vincent well, Brown isn't apart- approachable? <laughs> I saw Vincent <laughs> Brown once outside Boswell's when I was like just starting out as a journalist. I couldn't like let him pass without like acknowledging him in some way because it was Vincent Brown. So I waved at him really earnestly like, hi Vincent. And he went, <laughs> so I was like, hi. And he goes, sorry, I know you. And I was like, no. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. I was like, I didn't think he was going to stop. I was like, no, no, I just wanted to say hello. Oh, the cringe. I, I, I think what Danny was saying at the at the start there was was on the on the button. Um, do you think where we could be lacking it in terms of say a Vincent Brown on television? Because at the moment, the only correlation of a broadcast journalist to, to my in my opinion would be Sarah McInerney um, and the rest I'm not saying the rest are bad or anything like but they're just very they're, they can be a bit inconsistent in like if you're listening to Pat Kenny over the last five years um, mm-hmm. 
there's sometimes when you're listening to Pat Kenny, you can tell who he's voting for in the ballot box. And and that's my opinion when I'm listening to Pat. I'd be like, oh, geez, you, you know. But with Sarah McInerney, whether it's Mary Lou McDonald she's interviewing, Mial Martin, Leo Radker, she, attacking is probably the wrong word to use, but she is on top of them. Yeah, she put them under pressure. Finish, yeah. putting them under pressure, making them accountable. Where and and she will always, if if the if the person if the in, in, interviewee is kind of bullshitting or if they're saying an untruth, she'll but she'll question them on that. Whereas mm-hmm. a lot of the other journalists that I a broadcast journalists that I watch, you're left with going to Twitter and saying. Why didn't so and so say ask about this? It's blatant lawyers. Do you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. I think I think in print journalism, I think we're thriving at the moment. Um obviously some of the quotas that you mentioned need to be filled. Um but in broadcast journalists, I think we I like t- to the best of my knowledge, I think we only have Sarah McInerney. I really like I have great respect for Sarah. I think she's brilliant as well. Like I think she's one of the best there is. I think like the Vincent Brown thing as well as like I don't know if there ever will be another Vincent Brown and I think um it's just his style naturally mm. that is the thing that everybody remembers I think as well like the other side of it is um because like with Vincent Brown it kind of he gave everyone such a hard time and I think what people this is me totally guessing like but I think what people think now is that when they're interviewing someone like you don't want to be all over on top of them because people don't respond very well to that and like people kind of clam up or whatever or especially like there's certain politicians um that journalists know that if you get a bit shitty with them they're going to get a bit shitty with you as well and I think a lot of them just think they want to have the most coherent interview possible and like for some people it just also doesn't come natural to be like Vincent Brown and like, you know, everyone knows, like, the famous Stephen Donnelly, you know, interview <laughs> yeah. where he's like, oh, you're totally self-serving. Like, a lot of people just can't can't do that. Like, but I do, do think... Do you remember Charlie um, O'Connor walked out on him? I don't think I remember that one. No, I don't remember The SIP2 leader, the, the head of SIP2. Jack no, O'Connor, is it? No, no. Jack O'Connor was uh-huh. too, yeah. Yeah, he 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 got up and walked off. <laughs> the, one of the one of the best Vincent Brown moments ever. Do you remember the whole uh was it Gorse Hill, I think, was the property in Cliney yes. that was being repossessed or whatever. And it was all over the news everywhere and all that. And people were up outside, a lot of camera crew was up outside, and Vincent Brown walks up and he's just he's standing there for a minute looking around and he's like, Why are we all outside? I'm going inside. <laughs> And he literally, he crosses the threshold. And as he does, there's this almost like audible gasp from all the other journals who have assembled. And they're like, oh, Vincent's gone in. And, he just goes, and, and then he, he looks and goes, I'm going in. And he just keeps walking. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, all of them go in. Like, And it's just fucking, it's like, that was the power of Vincent you know, Brown. Like. You don't remember when he went to the, was it the Fianna Fáil, Um Was it? I don't know. It was a like Fianna Fáil thing. Their AGM kind of thing. Their AGM kind of thing, and he tore through Bertie. Was it? Mm, that, he, yeah, that's the word. Yeah. He t- he tore through Bertie Ahern. He did as well at the air. The um when the Aircom lost all their shares, mm. he went there and made an absolute show of all the shareholders. I think um, the other thing is as well, like from the Vincent Brown point of view, like the other thing that kind of happens now that wouldn't have happened as much then, but like. When you're on and when you're interviewing someone now, 
when you see someone or you hear somebody interviewing someone, whether it's Claire Byrne or Sarah McInerney or whoever it is, if you're interviewing a certain politician, so say we'll say, say it's a Taoiseach, right? Say you're interviewing him. No matter what you ask and how you ask it, there will be half the people saying that you're too soft on him and you're giving him an easy go. And then the other half of the people were, will be saying that you were an ogre fall and that you're a plant <laughs> and you're this, that and the other. Yeah. Like, you, you cannot win. This is the thing. Like, that viral video of, do you remember the interview of the politician in New Zealand? Um, and it went viral because the journalist was interviewing this, appeared to be, from what I picked up the interview, this quite racist right-wing politician who basically run on a ticket of, like, discriminating against people. And he didn't get elected and his party did shit. And she was get, he was getting interviewed by this TV presenter and she was basically just like shitting all over him, all over his life, all over his political <laughs> career. And people were like, oh my God, isn't this amazing? Why can't we have journalists like this in Ireland? And I was dying to, be, to reply to every single one of them and say, if we had a journalist like this in Ireland who talked to someone like this on a TV show, their bricks would be going through their window. People would be saying that they're like a plant that they deserve to be banged up like you can't win anymore on social media that's the other yeah. thing like someone started a rumor yeah. and like someone started a rumor years ago that claire byrne was in young Fine Gael. there's absolutely no proof to this she's denied it numerous times it's not true but this is the persistent rumor and like if you're the journalist you can't do anything about it you just have to say well no i'm not but like if you look through claire byrne getting interviewing anyone on her show and then you look through twitter it's like well, you couldn't trust Claire Byrne because she was in Young Fine Gael. I was going yeah. to say, I've seen that pop up. I've seen that pop <laughs> I up. I think Claire Byrne's very good. I think, I think, like, particularly 2020, there's two moments when it comes to journalism for me in 2020. One of them was the Sarah McInerney exasperated, uh, where she just, oh, Jesus, at the end oh, of the Jesus. segment. <laughs> I was, I was listening to that live. And it, it was, that was, she was everyone in that moment. I can't she even was remember everyone. what that was about. Uh, nor can oh, I. I just uh, it was just an absolute flurry, and then you could tell she was just like, "Holy shit!" Like, but it, it stuck <laughs> with me. And the, the other piece then was Golfgate, which an absolute triumph last year in terms of there wasn't like that story lit fucking Ireland on fire. Like, it's like really Phil loves you, Eva. Yeah. <laughs> don't think. Don't think. Uh... He's a big, he's a big fan of mine. Yes. No, I actually got more hate mail when the Article 16 thing happened a couple of weeks ago because someone messaged me and was like, "If we still had Phil Hogan, this would have never happened. This is all your fault." Oh, <laughs> oh my god! Oh dear, he has a lot of fans. You would not believe how many emails we got to the Examiner after Golfgate. Like, not really any, but got Dara Kaleri, who is by far and away a much nicer person. Um, but we got a lot about Phil Hogan. People are really worried about Brexit. I mean, we can't get you to click on the stories in the Examiner website, but you apparently are really worried about it when Phil Hogan <laughs> loses his job. Yeah. And he, um... he could have, the thing about that was, is that Phil, all Phil had to do was come out and apologise straight <laughs> away. Instead of prolonging it, instead of being the typical um, kind of pointing, finger pointing elsewhere, and it prolonged and prolonged and prolonged, and then he lost his job. If he had just said sorry at the first, I didn't know, whatever, he'd be still the commissioner now. In life, you can either be Dara Kaleri or you can be Phil Hogan. 
Yeah. I would Montreal or always be Dara Cleary. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think so. And then yeah, you can also so. be Seamus Wolf and hang on to your job. So yeah. the rule doesn't always make sense. That's true, actually. He's the one that, like, I'm still, baffled. I'm still baffled by that. All the, I, Do you think we just wore ourselves out because of Phil Hogan? And by the time the Seamus Wolf thing came around, we were all like, oh, for fuck's sake. No, I think um, it's this was a really new thing to me as well. And I've only kind of come to realise this in the last couple of months because I was sad enough um, to read a book about the Supreme Court. But what I actually think it was is that there is a huge nervousness on the part of politicians to get involved whatsoever when it comes to the Supreme Court. Okay. Because it has to have this type of independence, which obviously it needs because it has to be separate from the government. But there was this unbelievably softly, softly approach. Anything to do with Seamus Wolf, the government was in like sheer panic mode in case they would do something that would be deemed unconstitutional or whatever it was. So I think that's what it was. I think the government didn't want to push it because there's this kind of reverence of the Supreme Court as there always has been. And like mm. I spoke to legal professors at the time who said they really don't need to be this cautious, like they're really over-egging it here. But that's the way they felt about it at the time, that they wouldn't push it. They left everything to the courts. The thing was, like, even then when Chief Justice Clark asked him to resign, and the big thing was that he leaked, or the paper, the letter got leaked from Chief Justice Clark asking him to resign to the examiner. And that was seen as unbelievably scandalous on the part of the Chief Justice. That is not something the Chief Justice ever does. But he wanted everyone to know that he wanted Seamus Wolf gone but because you can't ask uh, a Supreme Court judge like you can't force them to resign so that was really the only option he had then so yeah I think the reason Seamus Wolf hung on to his job is because not a lot of people understand the Supreme Court it's very removed from public opinion I think Irish people would be able to name a lot more Supreme Court justices in America than they would be able to name Supreme Court justices here and I think the reason Seamus Wolf is on the Supreme Court now is because the government didn't want to get involved. They just wanted to leave it up to the courts. And Seamus Wolf knew that they couldn't sack him. So that's why he's still there. The arrogance of it. Um, Aoife, you're coming up to a, a year in the Irish Examiner um, mm-hmm. on Valentine's Day. Um, and in that year, your journalism has been exemplary. Um, I've enjoyed a lot of your your news and a lot of your articles um, and your anniversary the Irish Examiner coincides with the anniversary of the Stardust um, fire tragedy it's coming up to 40 years now um, your last article um, I'm, really, I, I'm embarrassed now that I don't know, know the woman's name but um, Keegan. that's it Mrs Keegan you wrote a brilliant article um, when she passed away Um Will we will they get their inquiry this year? Um, with the status. Yeah, so they've had a couple of pre um pre hearings basically to kind of set out what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. With COVID nineteen, like everything else, it just keeps getting pushed back and back. Um, because you know obviously there's different issues now. Um, cabinet meetings are being held in Dublin Castle, and the Stardust inquest is meant to be held in Dublin Castle as well. So. There's issues around that because they obviously need the space so that everyone can be um, spaced out. And I think like the main thing that we need to remember is 
it's going to be the biggest ever and the longest ever running inquest in the history of the Irish state. So, and everyone has their own legal team. So the families have two solicitors between them. They have obviously their own staff. The Garda have a solicitor or a senior, a senior counsel. The Fire Brigade have a senior counsel. Dublin City Council is a fire or a senior counsel. The Butterleys who own the building, they have a senior counsel. They all have staff. Then there's people who will be taking notes and there's people who will be looking after evidence. And the woman who runs the inquest, the coroner, will have her own staff as well. So it's going to be absolutely Jeez. massive. And there's 49 victims as well um, and all their families. So it's going to be huge. They were talking at the start, saying that it was going to run until August. I would find it hard to believe it was if it was done by August. I think it could run well after that now. So it, the wheels are in motion. They're just rumbling really slowly at the moment because of COVID and because of everything else that's happening. But it will start this year. But I am I'd be surprised if it ended this year just because of everything else that's going on. Mental. No. On, are we still there, lads? I'm still here. Can you see me? Yeah, yeah still here. Yeah. Meryl's yeah. frozen. Though. All right, Meryl, your your screen is frozen. Yeah, I was going to say that's a got a good review. Um, yeah, I think that one probably will. Um, it's going to be harrowing hearing all the stuff that's coming out of that. And like the kind of I know anyone who's listened to uh, the podcast that the journal put out will find it. You know that that podcast is absolutely brilliant. But um. Yeah, the, inqu- the inquiry is going to be absolutely hard on. It's going to be very difficult for uh, the families, the victims, and for, for anyone. Um, but it's crazy it's that's so important that they years, get years, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's so, but it's so important that they get this. Like, it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's been long, long, long overdue. Like. And there's also, like, the fear. It kind of depends who you talk to within the families. But, like, there's also the fear that they might not get what they want out of this. Because, right. you know, it's 40 years mm-hmm. now memories have faded a lot of people have died you know evidence will have diminished so like the coroner when she was kind of setting this out at the start kind of you know alluded to that and she kind of said you know this isn't going to be easy and like a lot of stuff will be you know basically not usable must remember stuff like that so she was trying to like set that out very you know early on that it's not going to be mightn't be what everybody wants it to be and like I think that will be like the hardest thing is like because these families have already been through so much and already been sort of trampled over like yeah. a number of times um and it would be a real shame now when we know that the remaining parents are getting very old um there's very few of them left out of the 49 and I think that will be the hardest thing is that if they don't get some kind of closure and some kind of solace then um yeah it'll be really rough because we saw what happened with the mother and baby homes and we know you know what can happen if these things aren't done properly and I think that'll be the hardest thing. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Meryl seems to be struggling there. I've seen a few love hearts pop up on screen but I've not seen him return to the that. screen. <laughs> I don't know. Are you, are you all right you there Meryl? Yes. Yeah. Twice. Two, two little love hearts. Yeah. So I don't know, I don't know what buttons you're pressing man but maybe it's that's it. Maybe that's it. Um, Eva, we have uh, taken up enough of your time for one even. Uh, you are a very serious journalist and we are a very silly <laughs> podcast and it's not fair that we would do that to you. So, um, I'm definitely but, not a serious journalist. I said has, the word balls in your the, podcast. Less of that modesty <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, in the country. 
I was going to say, listen, saying balls in this podcast is mild compared to some of the other things. And considering, like, we have a thing with Manscaped, it makes perfect sense for you to say that word. <laughs> uh, has Lisa McGee reached out to you to have a cameo in Dirty Girls yet? She hasn't watched Dirty Girls yet, I would say. I haven't even watched all Dirty Girls. Um, no, she hasn't. But I did hear, I don't even know if this is true, or this is what we would call Dairy Rumour, because a story <laughs> happens in Dairy and then it grows arms and legs. But somebody told me Nadine Coyne was going to be in the next series, which I would love, but I don't know if that it's true or not. Be, yeah. So, okay. So if Nadine is going to be in, so basically we, we need to start just dropping Lisa a hint to be like, Lisa, girl, leave <laughs> yeah. over there. Check her out. <laughs> she's a, I did, she's good well, working class early me, me, Lisa, and Nadine all went to that school. So prime, prime oh, content yeah, here. Is, I love Michael mm-hmm. Fry's Nadine Coyle. I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, it oh that's good. She's her loss in her passport. His, Mommy! Yes. Uh, his Tony McGregor one. His Tony McGregor one tickled me something fierce. Just because I'd oh, forgotten all about the whole coinage. He's back. so, so talented. Like, so talented. Like the, did you watch the uh, Handsworth Council one? Yes. Brilliant. Yes. Unbelievable. Oh my God. Like, I, I was listening to the song like it was an actual song. Like, right now. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing, you do you, you easily thing. have a little bop to these like yeah, the one about your man the young lad failing the driving test was, was brilliant. Oh, brilliant. Oh, I didn't hear that one. Oh, that is could absolutely released an album at this is. stage, couldn't he? He really could. I think Definitely he was on could, yeah. Radio One had him on and he actually sang the Jackie Weaver Handsworth Council song to Jackie <laughs> Weaver. <laughs> I love it. He's absolutely him and uh, Justine Stafford are two at the moment. That just anything they put up, I find myself having a proper giggle at, at the moment. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely cool. brilliant. Um, but Eva, thank you so much for uh, for coming no back to worries. us a year later. Thank it you seems, for having me. It seems like uh, a year was long enough to let you forget the mayhem of the last time that you actually agreed to come on again. So that's, it was, uh, we'll, we'll probably try to leave it like that again. It brought it all back to me because. Uh, it was my first ever podcast that I was ever on, and then I took a photo laugh and laughed at the thought of Jim O'Callaghan waving to his sister <laughs> on the TV. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure it's, I'm sure the two of them have listened to it and they had a great crack over Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, if if uh, if people want to uh, hear more from you, Eva, or or want to follow you on Twitter, it's at Eva Grace Moore. And obviously, lads, boy, an Irish examiner, pick up a copy or check out the website and everything else because uh, there's some great stuff being put on paper there. Eva, thank you so much. Thank Thanks you so, so much, much, Eva. Cheers, boys. I have so much time for Eva. Like she, she's, she's just a fucking top, top class journalist and an even sounder person. Absolutely, I love her. Love speak to her. Love her work. Love following her. She's just, she's. One of my favourite journalists um, of the last year. Yeah, and I, I think I think like and we we touched on it when we were chatting to her. Like, we're blessed right now that we have such a kind of we we've got a, a great wave of young journalists that are so good. Like, so yeah. you know, touch wooden fingers crossed. You know, Aoife, Zara, Gav Royley, Richard Chambers, uh, Paul Hosford, all these guys are going to be around for a long, long time. And yeah, Rob O'Halloran, yeah, Rob O'Halloran. And I think and, and that Rob O'Hanrahan, isn't it? Yeah, sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I think that makes anyone who needs to be accountable 
maybe just look at things a little bit closer before they decide to act the bollocks, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, what was I going to say to you? Um, oh, feck, I can't remember. Sorry. <laughs> Quite alright. It's been a long evening, man. Yeah, it's been sorry, a long... I dropped my laptop. We had we had internet connections. Eva's AirPods yeah. kept falling out. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Uh, look, we got it across the line. Uh, whatever that may be. It was be, very sure. enjoyable, and I hope everyone enjoyed it. Indeed, indeed. Um, but anyway, that's all we have time for this week, lads. Um, please do check us out wherever you get your podcasts. That could be Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, could be you know Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Republic podcast addict anywhere and everywhere there are podcasts you'll find us so give it an old subscribe there maybe even leave a review you know if it's a nice one if you've got nothing nice to say don't say it please (laughs) our sponsors won't like it um but yeah look why not we don't ask for that kind of thing often so if you like a friend and all that kind of crack uh we're at wts pod on twitter he is at merrigan mania on twitter i'm at dan joe murray this has been What's the Story 227 with Eva Moore. And until next week, K Royce. Full hearts. Can't lose. Too sweet. <laughs>